Good, good. Good morning, everybody. Um, two things. Everybody say two things. You're getting the word this morning, but I just I feel like we need to do two things first. Number one is this. Um, the holidays are upon us. Remember you used to had to wait until like December until the holidays were upon us? Now the holidays are upon us. And something I've noticed just this morning is grief that comes in waves at the holiday time is kind of here earlier this year because Black Friday starts this Friday at Walmart. Did you know that? The trees are on display everywhere at Home Depot. Uh, you know, the Halloween candy is, is, I still have a lot of it, but already it's like we got to set up our Christmas trees. So I want to do one thing before we get started this morning is I want to pray that, that God would help people that are dealing with grief earlier this year. If it starts earlier, it's going to last a little longer. How many of you guys know God, God is, he sent the Holy Spirit and he calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, Amen. right? So let's do that right now. Father, I thank you that, that right here, right now, God, there's a comforter for the hearts of men and women and kids. I pray that for those that are, that are facing a holiday season without, they would remember what was and gratitude would meet them in their sadness. But they'd also look to you as the, the final comfort. You're the one that'll make it better. Not in this life. I mean, this life will... If you're wiping tears from our eyes, the first thing when we get to heaven, that means we're still crying when we draw our last breath sometimes. So we're not asking for answers. We're asking for comfort. We're not asking for revelations. We're asking for you. Arms that we can't see to wrap around us and hold us tight. That's what we're asking for today. So we pray that you do that now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Second thing is this. We've got a... Uh, I don't know how this happened. Maybe it's one of you, but somebody... Uh, anybody know what the Bible app is? That makes sense, you know, the Bible app. It's out of uh, Craig Rochelle's church. They communicated with us and said, would you guys be willing to put together a devotional for the Bible app? And we said, boy, I, first that question I asked is like, is this legitimate or is this like some Nigerian oil princess that wants to write something? It just sounded like, you know, why would you, why would you even know who we are? So, but evidently, um, evidently they do. So here, here's the deal. They said, would you put together a devotion. We said about what, and we talked about it. And so is that on the screen? Put that up there if you would, please, guys. The, uh, everything begins with purpose. Isn't that shocking? We're talking about purpose to the rest of the world. But it, it's, it's going crazy. It's less than a month old. Thousands of people have downloaded it. Thousands of people have concluded it. And it's, it's going very well. And I say this for two reasons. One is, isn't, isn't God good, right? How many of you guys know Jesus still likes donkey rides? Right? Second thing is this, though. I really want to encourage you as we're going through this this week and the next two weeks afterwards, passion, pain, proficiency, and helping not just those buzzwords that we use so often around here, but really the meaning of them. We have a reason for being. We have a purpose. And until you know what that is, it's a little hard to get up in the morning with the same enthusiasm you would if you knew today was Christmas morning and you were a kid. If today was your wedding day and you were getting married, if today was the day that, uh, you know, the birth was scheduled or whatever. Back in our day, we just had contractions, went to the hospital. Today, we scheduled births. Hallelujah. We can choose birthdays. And, and by December 31st, you can write off for the whole year. So I'm just saying this. Like, I would love it if you would join us in this or share this with others who are looking for that same reason. Because Jesus gives us a reason. Jesus is the reason, but Jesus gives us a reason, and we need that in life. So invite your friends. And people say, and my wife alluded to it today, like, why do we talk so much about purpose? There's, there's a couple reasons. Number one is this. It's because I really love you guys. Like, I, if you think, no, I won't say that. That sounds bad. I'm about to say something. You think it's worth it. I don't, I don't mean that. I, the only thing that makes being a pastor worth it is the calling of God and the people of God. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be any fun at all, right? There, there are moments that are really hard and moments that are really challenging. But when, when the call of God is on your life and the people of God are involved in expanding the kingdom, it is like the best way in the world to live. So I, I love you guys. I want you to have this. And the other thing is this. There have been significant seasons of my life where I didn't know who I was. I knew I was going to heaven. I knew I wasn't going to hell, but I didn't know who I was. Choices I'd made felt like they disqualified me from being the person I thought I might be someday. Um, people I, I joined with in many ways are kind of leading me in a different direction through my, my years in addiction and some time in the military and trying to overcome things that, that were involved in the military and all that kind of stuff. I just kind of felt like, well, callings are for people that have had pure lives that have never done anything wrong and have no trauma to recover from. But I'm telling you, we serve a God who can redeem all of that into a purpose. He forgives our sins, but he owns our stories. And that story, that testimony is a powerful, powerful thing in the hands of God. So I just want you to know this. this is, I believe this is on my heart. Next slide. Nothing will fully satisfy you in life except finding Jesus and fulfilling your God-given purpose. Nothing. Nothing will satisfy you in life besides finding Jesus and fulfilling your, your God-given purpose. It's a big deal. It's always been a big deal. It will always be a big deal. Have somebody say Amen. So Galatians, let's hear what Paul has to say about purpose. Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 of the message translation. He says this, make a careful exploration. What kind of exploration? Careless, mulligrubbing, don't worry about it, do what you expect to do in life, exploration. Is that what it says? Careful, full of care. Be careful to do this. Careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed by yourself. Hey, I've got this great assignment. I've got this small assignment. There's no such thing. There's just obedience. Every obedient act is a great assignment fulfilled. So it doesn't matter if you're called to thousands or called to two. I believe more in small dreams than big dreams. I love the thousand small dreams that can become over time a big dream. But you got to believe that God is doing something in your life. He says, don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility. You must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Now, that's the word of the Lord. He's given you something. There's responsibility, and you must take responsibility for that. Now, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, again, the message transliteration helps us out here a lot, says this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. It's in Christ that we find out what we're living for. Now, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us, schematos, where we got our word schematic. He had a plan in which we were intricately involved. We're a circuit that if it doesn't function, the space shuttle sits on the pad, right? He had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Are you getting this? Now, they're like, well, I, I, it just sounds like you're carefully picking the right words. Then let's talk to King Solomon. Here comes King Solomon. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 21. He has a phrase for us to listen to. The empty-headed. Now, you can't say, you know, you're not allowed to say that in church because I'm just quoting the Bible. So this is fun. The empty-headed treat life like it's some sort of plaything, but the perceptive grasp its meaning and they make a go of it. So what do we what do, we do with this question? I, I understand uh, that it's so large that it'd be, it'd be nice to kind of say, well, that's, that's nice for you or that's nice for them, but I, I don't know, or so far away. Or it feels like maybe you're just trying to squeeze something out of me that isn't in me, and I, I, I don't know. But I, like, please hear me, guys. Again, we come back to the scriptures. Um, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18 says this, form your purpose by asking for counsel. Like, if you don't know 
what your purpose is. That's okay. And maybe you didn't ask for counsel, but here it comes. Because I think there's this thought, like, it seems like it's too grandiose for me, or my life is so hard, or the decisions I've made have precluded anything coming out of me. Like, you've got to stop believing the lies of the enemy and start believing the word of God. You have to. Whatever you're going through now, I just, if you'll trust me for five seconds, you'll get so much out of this. Whatever you're going through right now, God is willing to use for his glory. It's like, no, he couldn't use this. Oh, he couldn't use a murderer? Well, there goes David. There goes Moses. He, well, I'm, I'm not educated. You know what the number one common denominator when people found out what God's will was for their life in Scripture? It was like, get away from me, Peter said. I'm too young, Jeremiah said. I'm too old, Moses said. Uh, I'm disqualified. Like every time God speaks purpose to somebody in the Bible, you know what they say? Uh, please hang up and try our call again. You've, you've reached this number, you know. So he says this, form your purpose by asking for counsel and then carry it out using all the help you can get. So here's my counsel. 35 years of having a singular conversation that has helped thousands and thousands of people. It's my estimation now. I've had this conversation face-to-face with audiences or individuals or small groups. This is in the public school. This is in business settings. This is in church settings. This is in seminar settings. About 100,000 people I've had this conversation with. So you're like 100,001. Here we go. What is your God-given passion? Like, like, let me put it another way. When you're done doing what you have to do, what is it that you want to do? These are clues. I'm not saying your passion tells you everything you know about God, but I'm saying this, that it is a clue that will lead you towards things. What, what do you put a quarter in, pull the handle, and somehow a dollar seems to come out consistently? It takes effort, it takes time, it takes resource, it takes energy, but when you do it, you're always stronger for having done it than weaker for having given the quarter away. Um, what effort expended brings great satisfaction to your soul? Now, here's some of the answers I've heard through the years. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Try to figure out what these all have in common. There's something they all have in common. You ready? Here it goes. The number one answer that came to mind when I thought about this was, I'd like to have a mobile dog grooming business. I'm passionate about that. One young man said, I want to design weapon systems so that we can get the Taliban's on their first date with their 70 virgins as quickly as possible. I thought, well, let's, let's be nice to that kid, right? Number three. Uh, preach the gospel as a street preacher on the streets of America. Go to Suriname as a missionary. Anybody even know where Suriname is? I thought Suriname was like a spice they put on your table at an Asian restaurant. It's in South America. Who knew? Get married to a good man, have 10 kids, and live a long, happy life. What's the commonality, right? Stay in school the rest of my life and serve in academia. Serve in politics. Be a soldier. Be a school teacher. Pastor a great church, do lawn edging, be a police officer. Now, let me ask you, here's the question. What do all of those things have in common? The answer is absolutely nothing. And, and, and I, th- I think they're nuts for wanting it, to be really honest with you. I want to stay in school. Do you know how hard I fought to get out of school, even when I was in school? When they finally handed me that diploma, actually, it wasn't a diploma. They, it was rolled up like a diploma. And inside the diploma says, you owe like $28 in overdue like school book things. <laughs> And unless you pay it, you won't get your diploma. And my, my parents didn't come to my graduation. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's just a terrible moment. But I, I scrounged the 28 bucks. And uh, thank God that my friends liked to buy things I was growing in my backyard. Anyway, what I'm saying is this. I graduate. Uh, the, the one of my favorites, I want to be in an enclosed space with a wet dog. I want to be a police officer. Like, are you kidding me? I want to be a school teacher. 
None of my teachers said that to me. What's going on? This is it. There's something inside of them that they're uniquely passionate about that may seem insane to the rest of us. So it's a clue. If you're, if you're passionate about something, there, there's something in that passion that God is telling you something about yourself. Some were born to be famous. These politicians and all this stuff, some were born to be completely unknown. That girl in the back of that truck with that wet dog is not going to be famous unless she plasters her face on the side of the fleet of vans that someday becomes a chain store of dog grooming businesses. The soldier that jumps on a grenade will celebrate. There'll be a monument somewhere, but no one will know his name in a year. What I'm saying is this. Some would be famous, unknown. Some have to be brave. Some are born to lead others. Some are born to make others' dreams come to pass. And this way, when Paul looks at the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he goes, it's, it's like a body. You know, you, there's hands that you can see, but there's feet that you can't. Which one's most important? Depends on where you're standing. It's kind of important to have feet, right? There's eyes that you can see, and there's other parts I won't point to that you can't see but they're all equally important. Like, would you rather have good vision or good digestion? I'd rather be blind and eat a cheeseburger. Especially, especially I can't see what I look like after I eat the cheeseburger. Like, that's a double blessing, you know, right? So I'm just saying this. The one thing they have in common, and this is true, every single person on that list is now out there doing what they once told me they were passionate about. Every single person. When I had that conversation with them, what are you passionate about? Ah, wet dogs. It's like, well, I, I don't really know what to do with that. And you know what she did? She formed a mobile dog grooming business and she named it What the Fluff. You say, that, that's, you know, just, that seems a little racy. I, I was in the room when she made the decision. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. The kid that wanted to, you know, the Taliban thing, he, he developed software that trained people in combat. The, the, and by the way, he's back with your children right now because he's married to our youth director, our children's director. Um, Guys, get this, passion can look insane to those who don't understand its role and God's will being done. If you don't understand the role of passion, then someone says they're passionate about anything. You're like, well, I'm not passionate about that, so you're crazy. Oh, there you are right there. What the fluff? Good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> what the fluff are you doing here? That's terrible. It just comes out. It's so natural now. Oh, all right. What's your phone number? People want to know. Is this sermon sponsored by... You know, you know when David and Goliath took place? Do you know how David got to that battlefield from where he heard and investigated what was going on? Do you know, he had, what, what was his pace? Anybody know when he met Goliath? What was he doing? He ran. Like, there's this kid with a pile of rocks, and there's a giant in armor who has not faced defeat in a physical contest since childhood. And this little punk, ruddy kid, sits on his face, runs to the battle line. He is so excited about fighting. He doesn't say killing, by the way. He says fighting to King Saul. I'm so excited about fighting this giant. That's crazy, am I right? Until he kills the guy, and then suddenly he's sane and a hero. Jeremiah said the word of God in him was like fire shot up in his bones. Like, I, I tried not saying it, but it's, I mean, I'm on fire with this word. I've got to preach it. And no one wanted to hear what he had to say. But it was passion that led him to do it. Jesus flips the tables of the money changers in the temple because of what, what's called in John chapter 2, verse 17, his zeal. He flips it and goes, this house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And everybody's like, What's, what gives this young kid this right to do this? Listen to me. Passion looks like that. It looks like fighting giants when you don't have the qualifications to fight giants. It looks like, it looks like all sorts of crazy things, doesn't it? But when you realize what your passion is, like you wake up in the morning saying, I just can't wait to kill somebody. That's, that's for the school teacher, by the way, right? Let's look at modern people. You'd know them, not just biblical characters, and see if this, this, this still works throughout history. Albert Einstein says this, I have no special talents. I'm only passionately curious. 
passionately curious. I like this one. Wilbur Wright, who's becoming one of my favorites, Orville and Wilbur, they invented the you know, plane and stuff. He says, for some years, I've been afflicted with the belief that flight is possible to man. My disease has increased in severity, and I feel that it will soon cost me an increased amount of money, if not my life. He wrote to an engineer in uh, Chicago and said, teach me what you know, what you've developed. Like, let's share information because I, I, for some years, have been afflicted. He didn't say, dear sir, I'm brought to you by this recommendation from a mutual friend. This is the opening line of his letter. For some years, I've been afflicted with the belief that flight is possible to man. Passion. Or this one's one of my favorites. Jim, I've got it, I've got it. Randy Phillips in his boxer shorts in front of a full-length mirror, having just invented the genre we now call the human video. I may know what a human video is, where you act out the words to a song. That was invented in my bedroom uh, with my roommate. Randy Phillips, pinks boxer shorts. Uh, I wake up, he's got headphones in, and he's singing the song from the champion. Carmen the champion. Anybody old enough to remember Carmen the champion? I wake up to him in front of the mirror in his underwear saying, I'll kill you, Christ, you'll never win this fight. The demons wheeze, that's right, there ain't no way. Satan jeered, you're dead meat, Jesus. I'm gonna bust you up tonight. <laughs> and then Jesus said, go ahead and make my day. Remember that song? Anybody cool enough to remember that? All right, it's on eight tracks in the lobby today. If you want, just grab it on your way out. It's awesome, right? But that, that, I got it, I got it. My first thought was, I hope it's not contagious. But that, that passion to, to do that and eventually put on pants and I got better. So let me ask you this again. What is it that thrills you? In you, I don't mean a passion like I like fishing. I mean a God-given passion. Something that may not make sense to others. Something your own family members, people that love you, might try to talk you out of. Jesus had a passion about the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross, taking on its scorn. You realize that when he shared what his passion was to die for the world, his best friends tried to talk him out of it? You realize that when David wanted to go kill a giant, the king tried to talk him out of it? Like, your passion may be so common that everybody goes, that's a good idea. Or maybe so uncommon that people who love you think you're crazy for dreaming it. I'd like to do this or that or be a missionary or police officer. I'd like to get involved in foster care. I'd like to start a Clara's Hope ministry. I'd like to do a prison project. And people who care about you say, you can't do that. That's impossible. You're asking too much of yourself. That's a dream. Don't let other people do this. Give money to causes like that, but don't give your life to causes like that. But understand this. If there's a passion inside of you, you will run towards things that people run from. Giants, the whole world's afraid of. But if God puts a passion in your heart, you will run towards the things that people run from. This is not the only clue to your purpose. I, I don't want to say that because I think pain is infinitely more important. It's a, it's a 10Xer over passion. But passion is a good place to start. So here, here's what I get, though, in the realm of pushback because people say, oh, that's nice, and I've heard it before, but I want to address to you right now that you're like, I, I, I haven't found it yet, and I'm starting to doubt if there is one or if it's as big a deal as you might think it is. You're right. All I've done is gotten people for, you know, four decades, but I'm probably wrong in this one thing I've made my life's work. Sarcasm intended. Here we go. Number one, people say, it doesn't matter what I'm passionate about. I just want to obey God. It doesn't matter. Like, like that, that passion in my heart, I got to give it up. It's never going to come to pass. I just, whatever, I just want to obey God. I don't care who I marry. I just, I just want to marry whoever God wants me to marry. I don't care what I do. I just want to do something that God doesn't, you know, say is the wrong thing to do. I just, I want to safely arrive home in heaven like, like I, I stumbled across home plate. I want to do safe things that are easy and I don't want the risk. So it doesn't matter what I'm passionate about. But, but what if part of God's wisdom is to plant the clue to your greatest obedience in the form of passion in your heart? Well, I mean, a passion, your passion, I don't even need God. What, but what if it's a passion that doesn't forget God, but it requires God? 
What if the passion in your heart for bikers? What if the passion in your heart for orphans? What if the passion in your heart for reaching friends that don't know God? What if the passion in your heart that others don't understand, you understand because it's your passion that God created and gave you? A movie that explains things that are unexplainable, Rob. You know, the, the, the future of, of the next-gen ministries, being involved in discipleship, and you're only 14 years old. This kind of stuff that drives me crazy, right? You're, you're not. You're 20, you went? 14 and a half. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Your shoes are bigger than that. <laughs> so people say things like, well, it doesn't matter what's passion. Listen, if you believe passion is important, it's because you let yours die. You believe passion isn't important? It may be because you've submitted yourself to a world system in which you will never be valued. You've given yourself to lesser causes because they're safe. And I'm here to tell you, yes, I know I'm yelling. I'm passionate. Get off your butt and live for Jesus with risk, with faith, with passion, with fervor. Your prayers will change. Your time in the word will change. Your family will change. Why? Because you were created to live from passion. It's a clue. I get to wake up on Sunday morning. Somebody said, how are you doing? Just over there. You having a good day? I'm like, it's Sunday, baby. It is the only day of the week that even begins to make me make sense. Thank God for Sundays. Ask my wife. I've never had a bad Sunday morning in our entire relationship. Several bad Sunday afternoons because of the second service's attitude sometimes, but never, <laughs> never. I love you guys. Second thing, listen to this. How do I know if my passion is a gift from God or it's just the fruit of my own sinful nature? I mean, maybe I've seen so many things and heard so many podcasts about 10X and that I just feel like my passions aren't, you know, like I'll never get there. Or how do I know if like this goal is a God goal or a gym goal or a, a flesh goal? And here's a couple things to help you with that. Number one, if your passion is about you, it's probably not about God. If your passion is about others, it probably is from God. When you live your life as an offering, or let's see if we take it better. When you live your life as a living sacrifice, there's a good chance your life is worship to God. When you live your life like everybody else should sacrifice for you, there's a good chance you're not in the center of God's will. If, if your passion reveals God and who he is and what God does on earth as it is in heaven, I think you're on the right track and you should press on. If it's a number or a name or some sort of a game or fame that has no connection to God or anyone besides yourself, it is the vain dream of a false purpose. Mike Singletary wears a Huge cross. You guys know Mike Singletary is part of the Chicago's and then went on to do stuff. And now I think he coaches Chicago Bears. Does he coach that or GM? What's he do now? Writes books and does stuff? Lectures as it has been like the rest of us? Okay. So he, he, he used to really, but he wore it on the sideline as a coach. They won the Super Bowl. And somebody said, we noticed when you were playing, you didn't wear a big cross. Now that you're a coach, you've got this rabbit's foot on the outside of your sweatshirt. Like, what is that, man? Are you, you think that helps you win games? He said, no, this has nothing to do with winning or losing games. This has to do with life. So they said, explain. He said, well, I fought and fought and moved and worked and off-season, on-season, weights and strength training and speed training. And I mean, that, that dude was nuts. When he, remember that, that look on his face? I mean, I know who I'm talking about, my Singletary. He had eyes like ping pong balls in his helmet. And he'd look like that. He'd just saw the whole thing in every direction. They'd say hike, and he'd just kill somebody. It was awesome to watch. But he said, when I achieved Super Bowl status, and when we won the rings, and we had the parades, and it was all over with, I looked in the mirror and saw a man who was unchanged by all of it. He said, I put my ladder against the building of the NFL. And when I reached the very top rung of that ladder, I realized there was no there there. So I put my ladder against something more eternal now. Patted that cross on his chest. I mean, I think that's a pretty good testimony, Right? Last question, here we go. What if my life 
This is serious. It leaves no room for the luxury of passion. What if my life leaves no room um, for the luxury of passion? If you can't do what you're passionate about, just hear me for a second. I, I would say this. Be passionate about what you get to do. If you're not where your passion is, bring your passion with you to where you are. Colossians chapter 3. See if you can under, who, who did Paul write this to? It's very important. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your, somebody help me out, with all of your, as working for who? Now here's the question. This is important. Who was Paul talking to when he said that? Just before that, he says, Slaves, obey your masters. Don't just do what's right when they're watching you to curry their favor, but do what's right because you have another master in heaven. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord. Let me just say this again. That's a great verse. Do we agree? But the audience is important because some of us, let's be honest, our lives resemble more slavery than freedom because of the choices we've made, the things that have happened to us that we had no control over. We've been victims of people's bad decisions. We've been conned. We've been hurt. We've been betrayed. And we can look at our life right now and say, this whole purpose thing is great. We understand what I'm going through right now. It's not a season to dream. It's a season to survive. Hear me. If you try to get through a season of survival without hope that tomorrow can be better than today, there's a good chance you won't make it out of that season. There's got to be a dream greater than the pain you're in right now. There's got to be a purpose greater than, than the, the drudgery that is life when you're trying to pay off bills and lose five pounds and save up enough money and deal with relational issues and get the kids through the divorce and have all the issues that are going on in your life. It's not a time to dream, Jim, when I'm done with this season and things go back to normal, then I'll start to dream again. Hear me. The only thing normal in your life is a setting on your dryer. Everything else, we're living, is this, in, this is Miami Beach. This is Omaha Beach. Bullets are flying everywhere. So let's quit kidding ourselves that there's something called normal that's waiting for us. In this thing, hear me. Paul was talking to slaves. Don't be discouraged if the season that you're in right now isn't the one you want. I get that. Very rarely will the season I'm in be the one I want. But that doesn't discourage me from living, bringing my passion to the things that are mandatory in my life. I love our board. I love them. Every deacon at Freedom Center Church is a dear friend, greatly trusted. I love them. But how many of you guys think I enjoy board meetings? I actually spell them B-O-R-E-D. Dina goes through all these numbers and people ask questions and we take notes. And, we, and when I get done, I'm like, hey, it's kind of like when I was a kid taking a bath once a week. Like, okay, I'm glad that's done. Let's get back to watching the wonderful world of Disney and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anybody old enough to remember how cool TV used to be when we had three channels? All right. Yeah. So Joseph spent a season in prison. If you were to tell him, hey, don't worry about that vision about all the sheaves bowing down. It's going to be wonderful. I don't think he'd believe you. He'd just feel like today was really hard. Moses, as a shepherd, after being a murderer and now being in exile, don't worry, God's going to use all of this for his glory. You're going to be known like 3,500 years from now, there'll be this guy with glasses that's going to talk about you. You'll be world famous in all the world religions. They will know the name of Moses. He'd be like, no, I'm a murderer. And I ran before they get me back. King David, as an outlaw with a king, his father-in-law is trying to kill him and his wife doesn't seem to like him. I doubt that he's looking forward to tomorrow. But I want you to hear this. All of them went on to be greatly blessed by God and their hard days were used as a training ground for their God-given purpose. Sometimes before we can lead people out of hard times, we have to go through them. I had a talk with a friend this morning who suffered some loss this year. And that was kind of our, our wrap-up of our brief conversation was like, I, I, there's nothing I can say 
today that will make this better. And I've learned through the years not to try to make this better with one conversation. How many of you guys know country western theology is good for songs? It's just bad for hearts. You know, don't worry, God will pull you through the knot hole if you can stand the squeeze. I don't know what it means, you know, but I can dance to it. I just don't know what it means. But I do know, I do know this, that I believe that God's going to use these dark days and you're going to be useful in helping people through their dark days because you've been through them. What is that? It's like there's hope. There's hope on the other side of this. Piano guy, join me if you would. Unless you're a piano girl today, then join me if you would. Oh, thank you. Here's my last thought. And, and I, I hope this is extraordinarily helpful to you in this respect. The number one pushback isn't the other things. It's this one. I'm not in a season where dreaming is just, I'm surviving. I'm, I'm so busy. Anybody feel like you're busier now than you were a few years ago? Anybody feel like life is getting harder than it was a few years ago? So I say, you know what you do? Add this. You're like, I don't want to add this. I get that. But we're not adding this. We're substituting that for this. We're substituting the drudgery for the dream. We're substituting the slow, agonizing death for the slow, accentuating life. We're giving ourselves to Jesus as a seed dying in the ground and then coming back as more than he ever planted to begin with. And I I want you to hear this, this phrase. It's a wonderful one. It'll help you, I think. God his favorite form of art my opinion it's not the sunrise it's not the crystal sea it's not the streets of gold his favorite favorite form of art it's it's not music that the angels sing it's not offerings and smoke and fire it's not architecture and temples I think as I look at scripture God's favorite art form is connect the dots because in all of our lives there are dots that make absolutely no sense you almost died of covid Face down in a coma for how long? 34 days on a respirator. So you're a miracle. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense until it does. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to start calling people out to say, what about you? But these are painful things. So I, I won't. I don't have permission. But I, I know she'll just hit me if I did it wrong. God takes these things that don't make any sense. Really hard to even reconcile that God is loving when we look at them. Yeah, that girl broke up with me and this happened and why did then the bill and man, the IRS, the devil and Ohio State won and then, you know what I mean? And you stand in the middle of all these dots and you just go, it doesn't, God, what the heck? Where are you? And this is what happens. There comes a day when God takes his finger and he begins to connect the dots. And all of a sudden there's a picture that forms that we couldn't see without those dots. And that is the moment, please hear me, where your life finally makes sense why was I not a good student in high school I was lazy I was in the drugs I was undisciplined but I think it's helping me to be a better teacher for people that are lazy and used to do drugs and I'm not saying you're lazy I'm just saying this I can relate to a junior high school class better than most people because I'm still kind of there Romans 8 verse 28 says this and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And we know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See what, see what these have in common. This is just fun. What do these events have in common? A rock concert, the army, addiction, master's commission, Dina, three youth pastorates, a handful of people who are really hard to work with, and one semester of Bible college. What, what is that the recipe for? You know, <laughs> Jim Weekend, yeah. This is all I'm saying is this. Take away any of those elements. And when we get here, how many years have we been here now, babe? 20, 29? 
We get here 29 years ago, take away any of those. How many can picture this church without Dina? We wouldn't even have a ladies' room by now. There'd just be a hole dug out back somewhere. Nothing would be alphabetized and we'd all be in prison. How many can picture, can picture life that we would have and the, the illustrations we shared without children and grandchildren? Those are dots. Bible college. So one semester I was there. How many have been, have been blessed by the phrase, the hermeneutics of Lucan historiography? <laughs> you know, it's all I got out of one semester of Bible college. But I connected to a deeper level of truth than I'd ever connected to before. What I'm saying is this. 28 years ago, remove any of those pieces, and when we got here, we would have failed. And none of those things seemed like anything important except for Dana. But without that rock concert that someone invited me to, I wouldn't know Jesus. And without Master's Commission, I'd have never been disciplined and discipled. Without the military, I would have never known my limits. Without Dina, I'd be lost. Without the kids, I'd, I'd be incomplete. Without the grandkids, I'd be cranky all the time and instead of part of the time. All of them have something to do. And when God connected those dots, and I, you just got to hear me. Lyndon, where's Lyndon? Is Lyndon over here? Is there a camera? Lyndon, hear me. Everybody hear me. You ready? I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was 29 years old. And then we came here. And all of a sudden, my deficiencies became my proficiencies and my lack became my abundance. My testimony of addiction. You know, you know how many people that's helped? Her testimony of her childhood. You know how many people that's helped? We, we suddenly found ourselves for the first time in our lives, the right people in the right place at the right time with the right stuff. Stuff I couldn't have gotten from another three and a half years of Bible college. Stuff I couldn't have gotten with one more year in the military. Stuff I couldn't have gotten with one more month of addiction. We had it when we came here. So I'm telling you this, please hear me. And Lyndon, you hear me too. Just before you go, there's a reason for everything that's happened. There's a reason for everything that's happening. And God's gonna help you see what that is once you believe that there's clues in your heart that put all the pieces together. You get that? Lyndon, God bless you. Pastor Jason, can we do a virtual high five? Pastor Jason, you ready? Get up on the stage and everybody just go like this. So let's close it out here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Put that on the screen there, will you? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It's in where that we find who we are and what we are living for. It's in what? It's in who? It's in Christ. I just I want to say this in closing. Um, all the personality tests, all the vocational aptitude batteries, all the DISC assessments, they're all wonderful. They, they've served me well through the years and helped me refine, define, find my blind spots and all that kind of stuff. But I, you just got to hear me. Um, they didn't make me me. They just helped discover a little bit pieces of who, I, who God made me to be, right? It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're here for. It's in Christ. And before we leave this room, I would just be really disobedient to the things that God's put inside of me if I didn't give like three minutes to say to you this. If you found every piece of your personality, every aspect of your disc, if you're an Enneagram 597, whatever your test... You still don't know who you are until you know whose you are. And it's, it's strange, isn't it, that I could be everything, but I wasn't created to be everything. I was created to be everything for someone and with someone. And this may hit you the right way. It may not, depending on your relationship with your dad. But for me, it was very important that I have a heavenly father because then all of this became, became a tree fort. All of this became a, a tree we chopped down. All of this became a father-son project when I had a father. Does that make sense? Ladies, I, I guess I'll do the best I can for your soul. Um, all of this became a daddy-daughter dance. 
You just stood on his feet and all the motion was his. When you know you're his, when you know you're in Christ, you get to find out who you are and what you're living for. Until then, and you don't know him, you don't know who you are. And you're trying to live for anything that seems more successful than the person next to you. You keep up with the Joneses. They get a white picket fence, you get a white vinyl fence. They get a white vinyl fence, you get a six-foot barbed wire fence or whatever, right? They drive a Lincoln, you got to drive a Cadillac. They drive a Cadillac, you got to drive some other GM product that's better than a Cadillac. A Hummer. An electric Hummer. Let's just go all the way. They drive an electric Hummer, you need to change neighborhoods because that's... You, you, can't, you can't keep up anymore. But all of a sudden, when Jesus is involved in the picture, I, all I need is him. So just close your eyes. Would you all over this room right now? If you are inches from your purpose, but you're a million miles from the one who gave it to you, you're a lot farther than you might think. You can put your ladder against everything you're good at, and you can succeed in accolades and, and academic things. And, but when you get to the top of your ladder, if you do get there, you realize there's no there there. Because you weren't created to succeed. You're created to succeed with your Heavenly Father. You weren't created to win. You're created to win with your Heavenly Father. You're created to hold on to Him tight and stand on His shoes as the music plays and you dance with your daddy, as you build that tree for it with your old man. God is infinitely prepared to partner with you, but the first step is mercy. Everything that stands between your heart and His, it's a significant problem. So He provided a significant solution by sending His Son to defeat everything that defeated us and then to allow himself to be defeated. Let me say it again. He defeated everything that defeated you and then allowed himself to stand in the place of defeat and gave up his life. Why? Because his life became an offering. It became the, the price required to, to pay the bill I'd run up. But once that bill is paid, man, come on, I'm free and I'm his and I have a destiny, and I've got talents in my hand to be invested. I've got a life to live. I've got passions that give me clues and pains that restrain me and, and, and compel me. I've got proficiency that's mine alone in the, in the entire world, and so do you. But it starts with Jesus, or it hasn't yet started. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I'm not right with God. But today, I want to make a trade, all my past, all my yesterdays, for all of his tomorrows. Today, I want to be forgiven. I want to stand clean before my God once and for all. I want to know him. I want to do this with him because it's in Christ that I find out who I am and what I'm here for. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? That's me, all over this room. Come on, lift your hand up, all over this room. Come on, don't be shy, don't be afraid. You're not waiting for another opportunity. You'll never know who you are until you do this. You'll never know whose you are until you do this. God loves you so much. <laughs> that may sound like a cliche, but I just, he loves you so much. He jumped on a grenade to save your life. Come on. Now, what are you gonna do with that life? Jesus, I thank you that every hand raised is attached to a heart that's open. Holy Spirit, I pray just as you brought peace to many and comfort and gotten us through this moment, I pray that you would bring into this moment salvation. Strong salvation. The greatest material, the, the greatest miracle we'll ever see, right? The manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth is when a sinner is set free. And man, was I a sinner. But now I'm a son. Man, were we sinners, but now we're sons and daughters because of you. Forgive us now. Come on, say it to him. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Clean slate, fresh, fresh new day, born again, all over again.
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet, but don't go anywhere for just a moment, if you would, please. Um, what time is it? Do we have to make the, the letters red and so large when I go over? Why is the time so small and the letters are red and large? That's great. They just reloaded me with another 29 minutes. Like a credit card. I'll have to pay this back sometime, probably. But. Next week, we're coming back to pain. Um, just as God grants passion, God does not waste pain. Pain will cause you to join, I'm sorry, passion will cause you to join the fire department. Pain will cause you to run to a burning building because you hear some kids screaming in there. It's, it's not a PG-13 warning, but I don't walk in next week feeling like you don't need a box of Kleenex. You may or you may not. I'm just, I'm foreshadowing the fact that next week we're gonna talk about the God pain, not just pain, the God pain, the stuff that makes you jump that doesn't make anybody else jump, the stuff that breaks your heart that you're frustrated because the rest of the world doesn't seem to see it the way you do. People don't want to talk to you about that anymore because every time you talk about it, you get all worked up and they, they're just not there. Next week, literally, if passion is a clue, this is, this is a, a much larger clue. No such thing as a hero without pain. No such thing as an orphanage, a hospital, a school teacher, a combat uh, soldier, a police officer. Like pain is the, you will do the greatest things you will ever do in life because of pain. And next week we're coming back to talk about what God put inside of us as a clue we're supposed to do. So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Amen? All right. So then let's do this in closing. Before you go, look at two or three people and just say, that's a cool beard, ma'am. I, I, I don't know I'm trying to say this right. How do you, that's a, how do you, I guess what I'm trying to say, like, before you go, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. And if, and if you feel close enough to them, uh, then just say, what, what is your passion? Like, how many of you guys know just by talking about it, it solidifies? By talking about it, it, it illuminates. So talk to them before you go. You guys good? All right. Uh, it's, Jim, it's too late. My life's too hard. No, no, God's going to use this season, remember? Don't get discouraged now. God's going to use this season. So live long and prosper. We'll see you next week. You are dismissed. Go get them. And first steps class, guys, first steps. If you're uh, new and you're like, I don't know what to do, I'm going to go out that door and around the corner in a moment. I'll meet you down there. We'll hang out for a while and get to know the church.